Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by two ways. One passion food truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, a handful of stuff we're going to get into today. In the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America, I got three points I'm going to hit as quick and as hard as I can. And once I get that off my chest, we're done. Um, any contribution you want to make to the show, whether you want to comment on the facebook or the youtube live feed i will prioritize anything that it is that you have to say the nfl schedule was released this past week and i know a lot of fans go nuts over it and it's a a big moment in the the life of the national football league fan and i think there are some positives with it you think of the sport as it's set up the way it is there's now 17 games for the first time in the history of the sport but still there's only 17 games to determine how great or how bad a football team is we know about the popularity at the nfl and nobody's gonna joke about the fact that there's no there's no joke for the fact that the the national football league pro football is the pastime of the United States of America. There's no sport that hangs with pro football. So 17 games we know that may not necessarily be enough time to determine the cream of the best football teams in the country. While we talk about 162 games when it comes to baseball, we understand that that's going to, you know, that's probably too long of a time. That we know that the cream when it comes to baseball is probably determined somewhere between halfway through the season and three quarters of the season. 80 games, uh, 120 games, probably does not need a full 162 games. The reason I say that is because when we think of the release of the schedule and the NFL schedule and everybody getting so goo-goo and gaga and going nuts over it, we laugh about the predictions that people jump in there and declare, hey, the Giants are going to go 10-7 and seven because I went through every one of their games and figured out which games they're going to win and which games they're going to lose. How silly is that when you're talking about the sport that has the most parity amongst the four major sports? You don't even know what teams are going to be good. So you're going to tell me that the Giants can't beat the Saints because the Saints are really good, but they should beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, because they were really bad last year. One of, the, one of the things we figure out within the first couple weeks of the season, and mostly to our dismay, to our disappointment, we realize that the teams do not perform the way we expect them to perform. And that sounds simple once again. And like I said, I'm not patronizing it. I'm not breaking it down to the most minor of points. But what I am trying to explain is the fact that when you're watching pro football within the first couple weeks of the season, you start to think about the teams that you thought were going to be good and whether they are going to be good. And the team that won its first two games when you didn't expect them to win their first two games, are they as real as that 2-0 and zero record says that they are? Because, because I, that's part of the analysis that we fail to break in 
when we're out there breaking down each team and saying, oh, you drew the Cowboys the first week of the season, that's going to be an easy win or an easy loss. And you're not going to beat the Buccaneers because they have Tom Brady. And, yeah, the Buffalo Bills look good because Josh Allen's a good quarterback. You're not going to be able to predict the records of your favorite team like you think you can easily do. And that's kind of what bothers me. So when we're out there going nuts over the release of the NFL schedule like it's the NFL draft, no team's getting any better. No team's getting any worse. Most of the the games are already decided of who each team's going to play. And you don't have to be a diehard NFL fan to know that they each team is going to play you know, a certain amount of games within their division. And outside of that, they're going to play a division in their league. So that's the four teams in their league. So whether, you know, if you're in the NFC East, you may draw the NFC West. And you're going to play four teams in the AFC. So you may draw the AFC Central. But before the schedule is released, you already know that that's the way the schedule is going to be. So you know right there, 8 plus 6, 14 of the 17 teams, you know who they're going to play before the schedule is even released. So what's the big deal about it? The schedule is released. You know about those 14 games plus the three odd games that you're going to play against teams within your own conference. You know what the schedule is going to be. You just don't know what the order is going to be in regards of when you're going to play each game. Now, sure, there's rivalry games that are going to come up. Sam Darnold against the Jets. You're going to think of Cam Newton against the Carolina Panthers. there, There are rivalry games that you think of when the schedule is released, but this is stuff that can be discussed prior to that when the majority of the teams that... Each team in the NFL is going to be playing or already determined. The schedule release shouldn't shock so many people. It's just the order that that gets figured out that day. So those are the two things that bother me the most about the NFL schedule. Number one, the parity in the sport, which we know that any one of the 32 teams in the National Football League can make a legitimate run to make the playoffs on any given year. Because... The NFL is a physical game. It's a game that there is a lot of momentum. So teams that play well, teams that execute, build up a lot of confidence as they improve themselves over the course of the season. And you can't just go in there prior to the start of the season and say this team is good and this team is bad. That's number one. And number two, the majority of the teams that each one of your favorite teams are going to play over the course of the season are already known well before the release of the NFL schedule. So why are you making such a big deal about it? So speaking of big deal, a lot of people are, as usual, gravitated towards the polarizing situation uh, which involves the life of Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow's latest decision is he gonna go, he's going to go play pro football again. After four years as a minor league baseball player with the New York Mets, he's decided he's going to give pro football another shot. Not as a quarterback, but he's going to try to make the Jacksonville Jaguars as a tight end. And a couple things that go through my mind when I think about this is I agree about Tebow getting the privilege of being able to play professional baseball. Very few people, based off of their name alone, 
would have been granted the opportunity to do what Tim Tebow was able to do in baseball. He hadn't played since high school. He decides that he's not going to be a broadcaster or whatever. He was broadcasting college football games. He was going to do that on the side. And he was going to give playing professional baseball a legitimate shot. And he did that. He hung in there for four years. The Mets were willing to put him on as a non-roster invitee in spring training for this year. But he decided he was going to take a step away. The 2020 season didn't help. No minor league baseball. He didn't get a chance to play. In 2019, he was terrible playing in AAA. Basically to a point where he put up some of the worst numbers in the entire um, International League and the uh, American Association. So he probably didn't have a place in baseball, but was granted that opportunity because of his name. He is Tim Tebow. He's going to draw fans in the seats. People are going to come watch Tim Tebow even if he strikes out four times a game. So he is and was granted an opportunity that the average attempted professional baseball player would not have. Those that carry that animosity towards Tebow and say that it's going to apply to his attempt to make a comeback in the National Football League are completely 100% off base. Reason being, I will tell you. The NFL, if you ask Tiki Barber, Tiki Barber had a very good career as a running back for the New York football giants, decided at a young age to retire. And a lot of pro football players do this. A lot of players step aside early on in their life. You know, you play a physical game for a certain amount of time. And, you you know, you want to step away where you still have your health and your safety for the rest of your life. And we understand when it comes to pro sports, you, you only play it for a certain part of your life. You don't play it forever. So a professional football player, baseball player, basketball player, hockey player, you could say whatever sport, put whatever you want in there, is only going to have a certain amount of time where they're going to play a sport professionally. They have to figure out what they want to do with the rest of their life. Tiki Barber, in his mind, felt like he was ahead of the curb, tried to get a job at, at on the uh, Today Show. That didn't work out. Now he's doing sports broadcasting, but in between that, when the Today Show didn't work out, said that he wanted to give pro football another chance, signed a contract with the Pittsburgh Steelers, and went to training camp and gave it his best shot. And guess what? Tiki Barber couldn't hang in the NFL during his comeback attempt. And that was nothing that Tiki Barber did wrong. The three years away... The players that he was playing against were tougher, stronger, and he was not able to earn a spot on the Pittsburgh Steelers roster. Had nothing to do with the fact that his name was Tiki Barber. Hundreds of players are on teams when it comes to professional football playing in a preseason, and hundreds of players don't make it. Is Tim Tebow an example of another player that won't make it? Guess what? The physicality of the NFL, the ability to play, you either have it or you don't. Tim Tebow is not going to be afforded any gifts because of his name. It doesn't matter that he goes back with Urban Meyer to their days playing in Florida when Meyer was the coach and Tebow was the Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. There is no biasness that's going to exist there. Tim Tebow is going to be playing a new position. He has not played tight end in the National Football League. He played kind of 
running back slash uh, that could throw a little bit, could catch. He did not play the tight end, end position in the National Football League before. So it's something that he is going to have to learn, but he's either going to be able to do it or he's not. It's going to be determined very quickly within the first couple preseason games. Is he afforded those first couple preseason games because his name is Tim Tebow? Maybe. But that's as far of an olive branch as I, that I'm going to stick out to you today. Because if Tiki Barber makes the Jacksonville Jaguars roster and is playing for them in week one, it's because he earned it. It's not because of any privilege that he's given because of his name. I would not have said that or I would not have agreed with that assessment or statement if we were talking about his attempt to make it in baseball. As a baseball player, there's a very good chance he could have been called up in September and had a chance to get a couple at-bats in a major league game just because he was Tim Tebow. That opportunity is not going to be given to him in a National Football League. I'm sorry. You can either play or you can't play. And if you can't, you're going to be just like the hundreds of other players that are trying out, that are playing in, in preseason, that just can't hang in a National Football League. Third thing I want to jump into. I was thinking about the Troy Tulowitzki trade. We're talking about five, six years ago. I think it was 2016. If I'm not mistaken, that's when Jose Reyes had the, the incident where he beat his wife around and ended up getting suspended and didn't want to play with the Colorado Rockies after he was traded for Troy Tulowitzki. So I think we're talking uh, about 2016, or maybe it was 2015. But, you know, I think it was 2016. But that's where, that's where we'll stick it stick with. That's my story. I'm standing by it. So Troy Tulowitzki was traded from the Colorado Rockies to the Toronto Blue Jays for Jose Reyes and for three young pitchers, Jeff Hoffman, Miguel Castro, and Jesus Tanaka. And you may be asking, what are you getting into when you're talking about the trade of Troy Tulowitzki? I think it's an indication of the way that the Colorado Rockies operated then, are operating now, and will operate in the future. This is a team that has been blessed to have some of the most talented players in the game. Tulowitzki in his prime, Carlos Gonzalez in his prime. If you look back at the history of the Colorado Rockies and the offensive players that have come and gone and played for this franchise, they have every right to be proud of those players and those players' accomplishments. You look most recently at Nolan Arenado. Nolan Arenado was recently traded to the St. Louis Cardinals. The Colorado Rockies paid $50 million so he could play for the St. Louis Cardinals and did not give up they did not get a huge return for their star player. Now, part of that was kind of drawn up from the negative relationship between the now-fired general manager and the former player. And some of it had to do with the terrible business that the Colorado Rockies do in regards to their own players. Like I said, they're blessed. There are teams that go 20, 30 years without ever getting close to a player that has the talent of Nolan Arenado or Trevor Story or Carlos Gonzalez or Troy Tulowitzki or Andres Galarraga, Dante Bichette, Vinny Castilla. And, I, and I'm not saying all these players were homegrown, but to have those type of players play for your franchise and put up the numbers that they're putting up. And the Rockies haven't been able to win. They did get to one World Series. 
They made it in 2007 where they lost. They got swept by the Boston Red Sox. Since then, it's been a lot of up and down and mostly down. Not for a lack of talent. This is a team that brings in good young players, in some cases drafts them, gets them up to the major leagues, maybe because of the benefit of being able to play their home games at Coors Field, gets tremendous performances out of them. But what is it about the Colorado Rockies that keeps them from competing year in and year out? Or maybe making that extra splash to put them over the top? A couple years ago, when the Rockies made the playoffs, one of their strengths was their starting pitching. They got German Marquez, who is one of the best young pitchers in the game. And actually, if you're ranking maybe the top 20 starters in Major League Baseball, starting with Jacob deGrom and Garrett Cole, you probably won't get through 20 pitchers without naming Marquez. Marquez is that good of a starting pitcher. They have some talented pitchers, the John Grays, the Anthony Sentinzellas of the world, and the Rockies have kind of fallen back into the abyss, leading to this past offseason's trade of Arenado to the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, the expectation of the Rockies in 2021 is not very good. This is going to be a team that's going to lose. They're going to lose a lot of games. And in what I consider a very good National League West, led by the resurgent San Francisco Giants, which, by the way, I had them winning in, in the mid to high 80s in regards to games this year. I, I can't pat myself on the back too often because I'm very often wrong with my predictions, but I had the Giants being as good as they are. Maybe not past the Dodgers and past the Padres, maybe not first place, maybe not the best record in the National League, but I had the San Francisco Giants being good this year. So you factor that in, it's another reason why the Rockies aren't going to be very good. How much do you blame the owner, Dick Monfort, for maybe not backing Jeff Breidrich and now the, the new general manager, the interim general manager of the Rockies with the proper resources to be able to build a quality baseball team. And when it comes to Nolan Arenado, the one player that they did give the massive extension to, was there a cop-out of why they couldn't put the best supporting cast around him? The Rockies were a player or two away a couple of years ago. They went out there, they got Wade Davis, they got Jake McGee, and they got Brian Shaw, and the three of those relief pitchers were awful for them. Was it Colorado? Was it playing in a thin air of Coors Field? I don't know. But they got three of the top free agent relievers and couldn't get a dime out of them. Couldn't get any performance from them whatsoever. So they jumped that. They had to dispute with Arenado and Bridrich, and that led to the trade of him to the St. Louis Cardinals. And now they're in a spot with Trevor Story, who's going to be a free agent at the end of the 2021 season. And do you trade him? I, I, I'm not trusting the Colorado Rockies with their recent history of trades. Are they going to get a package that's going to be anywhere similar to what they got for Troy Tulowitzki, which probably wasn't a bad trade. Jeff Hoffman never really panned out. He was a top pitching prospect, uh, what, a top six or top seven pick in a draft. Miguel Castro, that's the same Miguel Castro that's in a bullpen for the New York Mets right now. So he hasn't turned out too bad. And Tanako is in the Rocky system, has has pitched in the major leagues. We don't really know what he's going to be yet, but it's it's probably not as promising. But a situation where you may not want to give up. At the time, that's a trade that you make. Assuming that Reyes wanted to play for you. And I'm a big fan of Jose Reyes since his major league debut with the New York Mets. He handled the situation in Colorado terribly. Outside of the obvious, 
domestic violence. He ends up getting arrested, suspended from Major League Baseball. That was an awful job by itself. But the way he conducted himself, he didn't want to be in Colorado. He made it known that he didn't want to play for the Rockies. He was a malcontent. He acted in a way that was unprofessional. A guy that was gifted to be an all-star in a major leagues, let alone a major league player, to actually try to dictate whether he wanted to play or didn't want to play for a team. Led to the Rockies releasing him and basically eating his contract. The Mets pick him up for the league minimum. The Rockies are paying almost his entire contract that he was originally signed by the Miami Marlins and eventually uh, led on to the Toronto Blue Jays so he could play for the New York Mets. Reyes did not conduct himself in a professional manner there. And maybe he learned from it. Maybe that wasn't the real Jose Reyes. Or maybe it was. But that, that's why the Tulowitzki trade to the Blue Jays looked that bad for the Colorado Rockies' perspective. The Arenado trade, I don't, I don't care who you were getting back from the Cardinals. And I know Austin Gomber is a good prospect. They, they may have a, a couple promising young players that are coming back. It's hard to justify the trade of Nolan Arenado, especially when you're paying $50 million to the St. Louis Cardinals so he could play for them. But the point that I want to make about the Colorado Rockies is we talk about dysfunction that exists. And I know it's easy in the market of New York City when you have outlets like the New York Post that hate the New York Mets and are going to put every possible negative aspect when it comes to the Mets to just assume that the Mets are the most dysfunctional organization in Major League Baseball. I disagree. Now, I look at the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I think that there's a possibility that they're on to bigger and better things. Ben Charrington took over. He is a very good baseball executive. He won a World Series with the Boston Red Sox. He has got a history of being able to develop players. He knows analytics. The Pirates may be out of their funk. They haven't won a World Series since 1979. They went through Neil Huntington, who was a terrible general manager. Prior to that, they went to Dave Littlefield, who was an even worse general manager. Now, maybe you're going to watch the fruits of this rebuild with the Pittsburgh Pirates develop them some good players. The Baltimore Orioles were wondering about their rebuild. It hasn't been that great yet. It hasn't worked out. In fact, it's starting to get to that point where you're starting to question the breaking this thing down to the bottom and the bare bones, whether it's a good decision or not, whether it will bear some fruit down the road. I know there's some players that are in the minor league for the Orioles that aren't up there yet. They have some good young players, but in an American League East that looks like it's getting better by the year, I'm not really loving the Orioles as far as getting back into the mix yet. So when we're talking about dysfunction, the Orioles have had some playoff seasons. The Pirates have had some playoff seasons. The Rockies have had some playoff seasons. Because of that, it's hard to say that they are completely, a completely dysfunctional organization. But I don't like what the Rockies are doing. They've had some of the best players in the sport. And they haven't, and they haven't gotten anywhere with it. They made a terrible trade for Nolan Arenado. And maybe put in a tough situation when it comes to tra the trade or not trade of Trevor Story. But I look at the Rockies and I don't think this thing is getting better anytime soon. The, the Pittsburgh Pirates, well, I think they need a couple successful drafts. The Colorado Rockies with an interim general manager, 
I don't trust them to be able to get the best young players that are on their way to Major League Baseball soon. So I look at this team, and I'm worried. I'd be worried about the Rockies being one of the worst teams in baseball for the next five-plus years. While the Pirates at some point may get better, they're not going to be good for the next couple. Um, I look at the Texas Rangers. They're kind of a team that looks like they're going to be bad for a while before they get any better. The Kansas City Royals, by the way, got off to a good start. They lost, what, 11 games in a row now? They're kind of back to where you'd expect them to be. The Detroit Tigers look like one of the worst teams that we've ever seen in baseball. So we're looking. Sometimes you want to have a discussion of who the best teams in a particular sport are. Well, here's your top five worst teams. The Tigers, number one. The Rockies, number two. I'd go Pirates, three. And if I'm going to declare a fourth team, it'd probably be the Texas Rangers at this point. And then I'm going to go Baltimore Orioles. Now, I think the Royals got off to a really good start. And the reality is they got some really good young players. And there's some talent that's going on in, in Kansas City. I like the general manager. I think Dayton Moore has done a very good job during this rebuild. Uh, Brady Singer, I think, is going to be a very good young pitcher for them. He's going to anchor their rotation for years to come. Uh, you think of Alberto Mondesi, Whit Merrifield. They have some talent there. Hunter Dozier is a team that I don't think is as bad as their record over the last couple of years has indicated. And I think they can take some positive steps going forward. I don't see that with the Rockies. I don't see that with the Tigers. I don't see it with the Pirates, nor the Texas Rangers, or the Baltimore Orioles. And I think you're going to get to a certain point in time where you might want to question whether the decision to go to that bare bones, tug speedman as simple jack type of rebuild. Is it always the best decision? Because you don't see the Yankees do it. When was the last time the Yankees didn't do anything that was short of a retool? 2015, they brought up a couple young players. They made a couple trades. They sacrificed one season to go back at it the next year. 2017 Yankees were expected to be good. The Red Sox have had some bad seasons, but I don't think they've ever given up. And by their results so far this year and the fact that they are a legitimate contending team in the American League East is a sign that they didn't go the full bare bones rebuild. Is that type of rebuild the way to go in baseball? Because it worked with the Houston Astros, and I hate talking like this, I hate bringing up points like this, did the Astros get a little help from their sign stealing and cheating scandal? How much was that involved in the rest of the sport? Well, I don't think we'll ever know. Were the Astros scapegoated a little bit for the behaviors of multiple other teams? Maybe. But they obviously did something wrong. And they, the players were not held accountable for their actions, which is why a lot of fans are pissed off with them. But the Astros are the example of completely quitting for two to four years, having good picks in the draft, investing in scouting and analytics, and getting, building yourself up a successful, eventual World Series championship team. I can't see the Tigers doing that. I can't see the Rockies doing that. I, can't, I can maybe see the Pirates. If I'm going to guess one team out of the five, and the Rangers and the Orioles and in a mix, one team that I could see eventually 
building themselves a good young team and kind of be like those Astros in 2014 and 2015, it would be the Pittsburgh Pirates. And that's 100% solely, unequivocally, because I believe in the general manager, Ben Sherrington. I think he's a good baseball guy. I think he knows what he's doing. I think he is ingesting the right amount of scouting and development and analytics into that organization. And I do think they're going to build a, a, a winner there eventually. I don't think we see the same with the Colorado Rockies. A little bit of a recap of the show today, and as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. This is the Past Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Starting with the NFL schedule, I don't think there are a few things in sports that are more overrated than a release of the NFL schedule. When teams know that they're playing six games within division, they know that they're going to play a certain division in their conference, four games against this division, and you're going to play a division in the AFC or the NFC, the, other, the outer conference. You're going to play four games against this division. That's 14 of what would be the 17 games that are known by the fans, by the teams, in regards to who they're going to play well before the schedule is released. So that's number one. When the schedule is released, you already know who the opponents are going to be. And in the other aspect, you're talking about parity in the National Football League. You don't know what teams are going to be good. You don't know what teams are not going to be good. So how are you going to sit here and say, hey, my team's going to be 10-7 and 7 when you don't know how good the opponents are going to be on the other side? There's no sport like the NFL when it comes to parity. Bad teams can be good. Good teams can be bad. Teams with great players always have injuries. Who could have predicted the Dak Prescott injury last year and the impact that it had on the Dallas Cowboys. So there's few things in sports that are more overrated than a release of the NFL schedule. Tim Tebow. A lot of people are, are pissed at Tim Tebow. They seem to be mad that Tim Tebow haters come out anytime he makes a decision to do anything. When it comes to baseball, I agreed with the, the large sediment of people that said that Tim Tebow got a chance to play professional baseball because of his namesake, because he was Tim Tebow, because he was the polarizing figure. If his name was John Pielli, he would not have been granted the same opportunity, even if John Pielli was the same type of athlete that Tim Tebow was. So he got that opportunity based off of his namesake. I think deep down, he'll admit that he had a little bit of privilege, but he was man enough to step to the plate this year and decide that he was going to step away, and he retired. Now he wants to play professional football as a tight end. Tim Tebow knows that making it in the National Football League is not easy, and it's going to take a lot of hard work. Tiki Barber could tell Tim Tebow how hard it is to step away from the NFL for three or more years and try to make a comeback. Tiki Barber couldn't make the Pittsburgh Steelers. And this isn't a knock on Tiki Barber. It's just proof that the players get stronger and faster. And it's hard to have that type of layoff in the NFL and come back and be able to play at a high level. And Tim Tebow is either going to be able to do it or he's not. If he makes the Jacksonville Jaguars, it's not going to be because of his name. His name is Tim Tebow. It's not going to be because of his relationship with Jacksonville Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer. 
it's a story to root for. If you're a Tim Tebow fan, I'd be, I'd be, I throw 100% of my support in there. But if he can't hang with the other players in the league, if the game has passed him by, he will be a cut just like any of the hundreds of players that get cut in training camp when it comes to the National Football League. The Colorado Rockies, I, I look at their dysfunction and the way that they have not been able to hold on to very good young players that they've developed in their own system. And it's frustrating to me. I still, after the months have gone by, am still blown away by their trade of Nolan Arenado to the St. Louis Cardinals. Does that mean Trevor Story is going to be next? I don't know. Uh, the more you hear about their most recent general manager, the more you could probably scapegoat him and make him out to be a major part of that problem there in Colorado. But this is a team that looks like it's going to struggle for a while. And to be given gifts like the Arenados, the Stories, the Carlos Gonzalez's, the Troy Tulowitzki's, to get players like that. Uh, by the way, there's this second baseman that plays a little first base for the New York Yankees. You might know him. His name's DJ LeMahieu. He came up and was born a Colorado Rocky. They somehow let him go as he is now one of the best players on the New York Yankees. It's a team that's frustrating me. It frustrates me because they have talented players. They either can't keep them on their roster and they can't win with those players. I do want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Past Ball Show. We'll be back with you next week. Don't forget, if you're interested, you can check out the podcast on Apple Music. You could also listen on Spotify, Amazon Music, or watch My Ugly Mug on YouTube. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side. And Gary jumps in right before we uh, we get going. He says the Tebow deal was a publicity grab by Khan based on his incre incredible popularism in this area of Florida. They will make him a coach if he doesn't make it. T-shirts of Tebow will sell out. That's all true, but I think when it comes to, and I think you made a good point, if he, if he doesn't make it as a tight end, they'll make him a coach. Listen, that's a good place for him to hang out. I mean, in you know, Gainesville, Florida, not that far away from Jacksonville, where, you know, of course, the, the, uh, the Jaguars play. Obviously, the connection with the coach means something. But it's funny as I look at it, though. Tebow's either going to be able to play pro football or not. You can't hide him in the minor leagues. You can't put him on the practice, by the practice squad because even with the expanded practice squad, you want to have players that are NFL ready. You can't hide him. If he's not ready and able to perform at the level of, these other, of, of the other players in the National Football League, he's going to straight up get cut. But Gary, I agree. He may very well become a coach. I think he'd be a great coach. In my uh, Roger Dorn in Major League Two to Jake Taylor, you'd make a great coach. Screw you, Dorn. I'm not one of these guys with my belly hanging over my belt and pastrami sticking in my mouth. But we will leave you now. Be back with you next week. Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com. Goodbye.